Hello and welcome to Glitch Cube, we're a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. As always, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And welcome back, everybody. Thank you guys for joining us on episode 99. Wow. Woo! Oh boy, we are one away from 100, and we are going to be celebrating, of course, because that is a huge milestone for us. And think about that, that's 100 weeks straight. Damn. Damn. Unbelievable. Impressive. That's crazy, man. This is, it's been so much fun, honestly, and still loving every minute of it. And if you have any questions for us, we would love to answer them on that episode. And we will definitely be giving you a shout out on there too. We're going to be doing a few shout outs, I believe, because, you know, there's been a lot of love given to us across over these years. Oh God, we can say years now. (laughs) Scary, huh? (laughs) It's weird to think about. But yeah, we started in 2020 at the end of 2020 and we're going in 2022. We're about to hit 2023. Like it's, that's nuts, but it's, yeah. it's so, so much fun, so much fun. And I just love seeing the evolution of the content itself too. The, uh, the difference in our voices even <laughs> and how, we're, mm-hmm. how comfortable it feels and it just still feels good even after all this time. But enough of that side business there. We're going to hop into today's episode and we are going to be diving into another philosophical idea here as a little crossover miniseries between Murder of Grey. Murder of Grey podcast is another podcast that we run here on the Cubeverse Network and it is also a lot of fun. We tackle different moral ethical dilemmas and currently we have been working on some philosophers over time has been really interesting to go over because man are their lives so much different than what was taught to us in history books so crazy (laughs) but today we're going to be diving into the game of bioshock or the series itself but we're probably going to be focusing on bioshock one because there's actually a lot to tackle whenever you're talking about philosophy and this game they put so much into it it is basically like reading a synopsis on a particular philosophical theme And I feel like they did it in such an amazing way that it almost feels, hmm, like uh, it's not being like spoon fed to you or forced to you. It's just, you're like letting it happen, right? Like as you're playing it, you're just letting these ideas soak in and you're not even realizing that you're learning. And I love that. You're actually learning something and you don't even realize it. It's all masked with like that kind of horror action vibey stuff. And it's just, it's good. It's good. For those of you who do not know or are like now thinking, holy crap, how does Bioshock, this game that I love, actually a philosophical game? Well, it deals a lot with the idea of objectivism. Now, objectivism is not new. It is something that has been around for quite a while, and it actually was coined by a famous philosopher named Ayn Rand. And if that name sounds familiar, she wrote, uh, she wrote, Atlas Shrugged, which is probably one of the biggest books I've ever seen in my life besides the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) It's massive. I think it's massive. And they've tried to do like movies of Atlas Shrugged too, and it always ends up being a four-parter because there's just so much content in it. But that's another point for something else. She also did another book. Uh, What was it called? Fountainhead. The Fountainhead. That's right. Yeah. So she did The Fountainhead, and she created this idea of objectivism. So objectivism is one should follow their own self-interest and profit from their own abilities while being virtually uninhibited by others. So basically, chase your bliss. 
And don't let anybody tell you to not do what you want to do. Now, on the surface, that sounds great. What could be wrong with that? But, as we've seen in Bioshock, if you let a doctor do whatever they want and experiment on whoever they want just because they can, we get some weird things happening there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the extreme side of objectivism. And a lot of people actually believe that Bioshock is a direct way of saying that objectivism is bad. But the way I see it, I don't think that Bioshock actually does that specifically. It's not saying that objectivism is a bad thing. It's actually showing you the extremes of it, but there's something else that led to the actual downfall of Rapture, the famous city in Bioshock. It wasn't the extreme objectivism that broke the city. It was a mental breakdown in a civil war. So is objectivism really the bad part here? Is it, if you go too far with it, is that what led to it? No, because they were profiting very well. They were flourishing. They were doing some amazing stuff in this town because they were uninhibited. So it's, in my opinion, I feel like this is more of a love letter to objectivism rather than a warning Mm. against it. Now, I might get some backlash for that because how can you say that whenever the whole world or the whole town is, you know, demolished and gross and falling apart and evil people, are, right? But it, I think it might make sense a little bit more if you think about it on a deeper level. Because it, nowhere does it say that the objectivism is the cause of these issues. They led to some situations that happened, but it wasn't the direct cause, in my opinion, of course. I don't know. What's your take on that? I'm kind of curious because whenever I started reading about it, I was like, oh, I don't know. Like some people say it was objectivism that led to the downfall. And then I heard someone else kind of bring up the counter argument to that. And that made so much more sense to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I definitely the Civil War, you know, it because think about it, it brought people's ideas to be like hey this isn't working out for us we need to stand up against it right like kind of any ideology you know when a opposite idea gets brought to attention against current you know like political stance i guess you could say it's like there's always gonna be unrest and with this you know objectivism there's it sounds good in a lot of ways. And I mean, this term is used by libertarians a lot. I mean, this game has been touted as like, oh, this is what, you know, a libertarian world would look like. And for better or worse, I mean, I'm not saying they're bad or good, but the idea of having less, you know, restrictions from the government and stuff like rapture sounded like a great place to an extent, Mm -hmm. but there was some extremes about it that I think paint a bad picture for objectivism, you know, like the, um, the blocking of like free trade and just a bunch of other stuff we'll get into soon. But it's like, there's so many things that Andrew Ryan, the leader of rapture, did that kind of countered the ideology to an extent 
And I could see why some people would be like, oh, this ideology is horrible. Like, it doesn't work. You know, it's it's a very, like, careful ideology that needs to be done well. And I think if you have someone who is all in control with himself mm-hmm. and not have, like, a strong supporting cabinet or other people to really tell you what's a good idea and not i think it could just form into any other kind of like you know totalitarian well not totalitarian but um one person has all the power and it's like it's it could be bad and i mean when you think about the restrictions that he put on that sound opposite of object uh, objectivism it it sounds horrible you know so i can understand but God damn, underwater city just looks so damn cool. Like I would want to live there no matter what. Yeah. Let's actually before we start diving into more of the philosophy behind it, let's talk about that real quick. This game looks amazing still. And they keep, you know, revamping it, HD remixes, all that stuff. The remaster but looks good. It looks fantastic. And I just remember playing that first scene where you get out of the plane crash, you're in the water, and then you find this crazy pillar in the middle of nowhere leading to Rapture itself. Like, everything about that was just so iconic and memorable and beautiful. And then you get to actually see the city itself. Like, damn, is this game gorgeous. And it's just mm-hmm. so crazy to think about that, where it... It's supposed like I don't know like to me it felt like that game is supposed to be kind of scary, and then you look at yep. all the scenery and like I want to see everything. It's so gorgeous. Everything looks so good, and not just the the architecture, the the characters as well. The characters have such a amazing background story behind each one. Every person in there has a really interesting story to tell. They did so much work to these games. It kind of becomes a shame that the third one fell off so much. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's it's just it sucks because the the groundwork was laid so well in this first one and it just blew everyone away when this game first came out. Like it was so different and so unique and so like fresh and it's what we needed at that time. So it, it yeah, God, that game is great. <laughs> so strong. Yeah, it's weird where the series went with three. You know, like it's it, something was so magical about the game when it came out. Like I remember the day it came out, and I was like, "Damn! Like this game looks really cool." I thought it was going to be a scary game, so I was had a whole different idea on it. And at first, I kind of thought the game was overrated because everybody mm-hmm. talked about how amazing it was, because you know the ideas it represented and how well it looked. And then I played it, and I'm like this is actually really cool. Like even not just from a game play kind of standpoint, but the environment was just so magical. Cause it's like, you don't really see an underwater city Mm -hmm. and that's something in movies when it would happen, which is rare. I always loved was just imagining life underwater. Cause you know, we've seen space colonies. We've seen people use all kinds of environments for, you know, a civilization but we never see it underwater and it's like what better way to get away from you know controlling government than creating your own civilization underwater like it's just sounds cool it makes sense know? and it feels more accessible 
Yep. It feels like a an actual legit way of doing that. Every time we see it in movies, it's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm against society, I'm against government, so I went to the moon and I started a colony out there. That's not <laughs> realistic. How many people are you going to get to the moon? Whereas yep. if you build a society out in the middle of the ocean in international waters, I could see people flocking to that and it just being hidden from all of society. Who's to say that's not out there right now? Conspiracy theory, right? Maybe this is based on real Ooh. life. We need to come back to some conspiracy theories. We haven't done that in a while. That'd be fun. But yes, we should. <laughs> anyway, so the connections between this game and Ayn Rand and the characters specifically of Andrew Ryan in Ayn Rand are pretty astronomical. They really did their homework on Ayn Rand. And I would say the only difference between the two of them, well, there's two differences. One is the psychosis of Andrew Ryan. Right? <laughs> Went a little crazy at the end there. And the second would be that Ayn Rand is a woman and Andrew Ryan is a man, which I think is very interesting given how much reference they put to Ayn Rand's words, her books, all, all those things, that they didn't make Andrew Ryan a woman. That kind of surprised me a little bit. Like, I, I feel like it would have made sense. I mean, they are basically doing that. And supposedly there is a character, if you look at some of the photographs of the original citizens of Rapture, there's a character that is modeled after Ayn Rand specifically. So it's kind of funny that they didn't just make Ayn Rand the character if they wanted Andrew Ryan to be that person in their game. So I don't really know why they did that. It's a little weird. It might have been too on the nose. You know, some... Granted, this would... Now it's different times, but, you know, if you tried to do that nowadays where you made a character exactly like that, you know, there'd be probably a crowd of people that would not like that. So it kind of makes sense mm. that they would do it more as like a way of honoring, I guess you could call it. I guess. But, but I then know, that's my the, take. Some, some of the other stuff that they put in there, right? So like Andrew Ryan and Ayn Rand both came up or were brought up with in Soviet rule. In the mm -hmm. idea of communism and collectivism, where it's based off of the goods of the many rather than the one. And that's where the idea of objectivism first came from, was that upbringing where, no, why should I work so hard to give my money away to the government for people who are not working? That was the original thought process behind objectivism. So both Ayn Rand and Andrew Ryan fled their countries, their respective Soviet rule countries, to America, where they, you know, prospered and became wealthy and got followings and all that stuff. And it's like the they're one to one right there, all except for the sex. So that's where I was like, why didn't they do that? And I'm wondering, like, I would be curious to hear the reasoning behind that. I'm sure they've been asked that question before because they did such a one to one between these two people, between the game character and the actual person in real life. But after hmm. yeah, after creating, or actually before creating Ra Rapture, the way that it was actually created, I think, is rather interesting. So Andrew Ryan was a wealthy entrepreneur type man uh, in the United States. And during the Wall Street crash in 1929, uh, his wealth was lost and the government was trying to put regulations on wealth to try and uh, prevent the Wall Street crash from happening again in the future. And Andrew Ryan saw this as communist rule coming in. 
the idea of collectivism coming back to haunt him, in a sense. So he decided to then flee the United States, just like he left his original country, and create Rapture itself. So that it was a space where those thoughts and ideas would never hinder their achievements, their studies, whatever whatever you wanted to do. You had full free will to do whatever you wanted, and no one can tell you otherwise. That was the whole point behind Rapture. And a lot of smart, well-educated people followed that idea that really wanted to push the ideas of their studies, uh, push the field that they're working in, whether it be medical, you know, philosophical, psychological, all those areas, they gravitated to this idea, which is very similar to what happened with Ayn Rand, where she creates a well, she didn't specifically create a cult, but a cult created around her happened <laughs> where there was a lot of well-educated people who went in and saw that as a potential outcome or a potential out and a way to, you know, uh, pursue knowledge and get out of those basic regulations. Now, going back to that scene, that opening scene, that iconic opening scene of the storm and finding rapture in the middle of the ocean that's actually pulled directly from Atlas Shrugged, which I thought was rather interesting. So the protagonist of Atlas Shrugged, his name was Dagny. So Dagny is told the story of John Galt. And John Galt's story is, while sailing the sea in a storm, he saw the shining towers of Atlantis. And that's where this big opening scene happened, the opening sequence hmm. to Bioshock itself. So it's exactly that, where... Now, John Gall is Jack. Or Jake. Jack. Yeah, Jack. <laughs> I always get those names make <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, yeah, it's close enough. It's all J names. But then we start seeing more and more connections between... It's kind of hard to not make connections between Atlantis and Underwater City instantly. But they went further with it with things like Poseidon's Plaza and Neptune's Bounty and really just kind of up the ante on saying, hey, this is Atlantis without actually saying it's Atlantis and mm -hmm. making more and more of those connections between uh, Ayn Rand's life and Andrew Ryan's life and Rapture itself, the city. So it, he so Rapture was set to be a utopia for individuals that wanted to pursue, pursue knowledge they wanted to for people who believe that they are the main characters of their own story which is exactly what objectivism sounds like to me it sounds like you just want to be the main character of your story so it, it it's it's interesting because it's a, i mean on paper it sounds great right? you can do whatever you want mm -hmm. you want to study this that sounds awesome but we all know what happens to utopias or at least what we've been seen or been taught to by the media that utopias just don't work. It's not possible to actually continue that going. And eventually we start seeing some influence from the outside world. Some things, some ideas kind of bringing or making their way into Rapture itself. And this pisses Andrew Ryan off. And he wants to shut it down instantly. Now, for most people, they might look at that and think, okay, this is him going against objectivism. If he's starting to put a bunch of rules and restrictions and saying and cutting off ties with the outside world and saying what people can and can't read even or what they can and can't look at or study, 
that's 100% the things that he was running away from. And it goes against everything that he's been preaching this whole time. But if you look at it from his perspective, he's not actually going against objectivism. He's staying within those lines because he's acting on his own personal interest. It just isn't the interest of the masses, which is objectivism. Mm-hmm. So who's at fault there, right? Like, is he really going against his ideas? No, he's not. So it, no, at no point in time did he ever lose sight of the core idea or the core belief that created Rapture. Now, this did lead to civil war within Rapture, and that's actually what was the downfall of the city itself, was the civil war is people going against Andrew Ryan's restrictions, which they were acting in their own self-interest to do so as well. So that's where the idea of objectivism being a bad thing kind of comes into play. When everybody acts according to their own will and what they want, it's going to lead to fights because you're not going to agree to everything that someone else wants to do which we see today. And that's why people are so against the idea of objectivism because they claim it can't work. It can't work in a modern society because you're not going to agree with everybody around you. And I'm still trying to think of a situation in which objectivism can work. Like, can you really be fully in it and it still makes sense? It it draws so many parallels to capitalism that I feel like it it could work, but like you said with utopias, it's like you know there's gonna, always going to be a side that doesn't agree. I mean, we see that now in our country, like, and we're not even in a situation like that where it's like if two sides don't agree, you're going to have a civil war, which you know like the game. But I was kind of wondering that when I was reading this and like would it really be possible to do something i mean there's been i think we covered this in gray uh about people trying to start their own land or city mm-hmm. and they tried to come up with a utopia and it just didn't work and mm-hmm. people still try to do this kind of thing and granted maybe the rules aren't as like announced like they are with objectivism but it's interesting how people have this mentality of wanting to do something like this with ideas similar to it. But I feel like if you give people too much freedom to do what they want, there's going to be issues that people can try to justify, even though like morally they're not right. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the big issue there is the moral issue behind things. Because then it's altruism, which is kind of the opposite. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's, if you think it's, about it's it. the exact opposite of objectivism. Altruism is counterintuitive to the idea of objectivism because why should you help others who, with the wealth and bounty that you're doing, it's not... I mean, unless that's to yourself... That's where it gets kind of confusing to me because... If you want to be altruistic and that's like benefiting you on a mental level, that's still 
following the rules of objectivism where you're going off of your own self-interest? I think it's more so like, say, like with a religion where like, you know, say they tell you, oh, you can't, you can only have fish on Fridays or something like you're sacrificing your your rights to have fish for the rest of the week due to what you think is a moral obligation of helping for a greater good or mm. for your higher power. I think it's, it's always self-sacrifice when it comes to altruism. And like, I think, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong if you feel good and happy about helping others, but if it's where you have to give up something that you kind of don't want to in order to help others, like say like with communism where you have to give your stuff for the greater good, you know, that's, that's completely opposite of this, the the talking, but there, there is that fine line of like, okay, like helping others and you want to, it is a little different. Hmm. That's true. It's a good point. Yeah, there, there's a lot to this game that you can kind of decipher and di like dive into and kind of pick apart because n no game, no book, no media source is going to be super cut and dry between these objects or between these ideas. It, they can they can go and lean towards one way or the other, but there is no right or wrong answer. That's that's kind of the big thing here. Like, there is no right way of being altruistic. There's no right way of being a, a fully objective in your decisions. So that's it's kind of tough, that's for sure. But this game also puts in some other, I guess, other ways of lightly hinting towards objectivism as well uh, with the whole uh, little sister, big daddy situations, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever you find a little sister, you can either kill or harvest right and i feel like that is the ultimate question right there that is the ultimate like do i do the altruistic thing and free this person who has been you know like corrupted by adam right like it's just gone too far or do i purge them and use them as resources for my own well-being my own good and i it's, those decisions suck in games for me personally because I get it, like, okay, I'm going to get more powerful, I can get this, I can complete this quest, or whatever it may be, get the achievement for doing this this many times. But my moral compass always wants me to lean to the altruistic side, where it's like, well, just let him go. Like, yeah, the game might be a little harder, I might have to figure something out, but just let him go. <laughs> like, it's that's a tough decision for me always. And I even have that, like, uh, in some of the games I'm playing right now, like Cult of the Lamb, I'm running into that issue as well, where I don't want to sacrifice anybody. I just don't do it. <laughs> Unless, like... You haven't sacrificed anybody yet? I did. Damn. I did sacrifice one person because they kept asking for it. But oh. I just didn't want to. Kind of try to avoid it as much as possible. But they, they kept asking for it. I was like, okay, fine. I'll just do it. I don't want to. don't want to. And like all of the things that I've been doing, but anyway, that's a completely different game. But like, I feel like that's that's a decision in games that happens a lot. But it it always gets framed in a different aspect, right? Like, it, and it's it's kind of like a weird dilemma in video games, consistent like con in a lot of games actually, it, where you just go into some random person's house and you pilfer them for all the materials because that's what we were taught to do in video games. 
Mm-hmm. How many times do you go into a Zelda game where you just run in and smash everyone's pottery because you know that there's a gem in there somewhere? Right? Like, it's the same question. True. It's the same question here. But now, I like the way that they framed this question and how they really made it personal because you're looking her right in the face. Like, it is super zoomed in. You're seeing her struggle in your hand and she wants to get away. She doesn't want to be there. Like, she's fighting. It's not just an inanimate object. It's a, I mean, it's kind of, it's not really a person person anymore, but it's a person. That it's you, a person. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a person. But it's, it, I feel like that's such a intense way of bringing that question to the player and seeing if they follow along with just the objectivist nature of this title itself. Like, did you did you harvest everyone? Get real strong. I saved everyone. Fuck it. Oh really? <laughs> I, I wanted the best ending. Everyone, I, I, someone told me, I was like, oh, if you want the best ending in the game, like, make sure to save all the little girls. I'm like, okay. Hmm. I, it, why would I absorb them? That's actually interesting that the best ending comes from that. That's another interesting idea with how powerful and how strong the connection is between objectivism and this title, that that would be, lead to the best ending. So... Maybe what I said in the beginning isn't 100% right, that this was a kind of a love letter to objectivism where it's actually showing that being a fully objectivist is bad. And the way to get the best ending is to, or quote unquote, best ending, right? That's kind of like a weird loose term there. Subjective. Yeah. yeah, a little bit subjective in that sense. But like a game that's toting objectivism and really being like just giving a lot of light to it saying that you have to be altruistic in order to receive the the better outcome of this situation. Well, I think also because, I mean, the first half of the game or beginning, you're kind of like, your, your enemy is, you know, Ryan. And mm-hmm. then, like, later on, you're kind of going against um, Atlas, which, you know, you think Atlas is the opposite, where it's more like view so it kind of makes sense that you would save them but it is weird because this whole game makes it think like oh i should not save them Mm -hmm. so i think it's really interesting how they are able to kind of play that into this game because most people i know that played this game didn't save them Mm. so it's interesting like i feel like this is one of the few games where i've known people that do like either or in choices, whereas most of the time people I talk to usually pick one thing and that's it. Right. So I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a nice touch. It, it is a really nice touch to have in there. Okay. So we've talked a lot about Bioshock and the correlations between Ayn Rand, objectivism, all of that stuff. I mean, it can be seen in the architecture itself, the artwork everywhere that you're looking around, the fact that you're running around in Atlantis, from the, or even down to the Cabernet Sauvignon that's floating around, or it's also known as Arcadia Merlot. Ooh, fancy. But like the, the connections between these concepts are so prevalent throughout the entire game. And it is a fantastic title to dive into. 
And the whole series itself is so powerful. There's so much to it that we didn't want to try and condense it all into one episode. So we felt that would be too much and it wouldn't do justice to these ideas because these are some really big concepts to kind of dive into. And the impact that Bioshock has made in the gaming community itself, it just felt right to break this up into a two-parter episode. And so the next one, we're going to be discussing the other titles in the franchise itself, so Bioshock 2, and touch on Bioshock Infinite, even though that one does have a little bit of different kind of issues there. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> so uh, it would be mostly probably about Bioshock 2 and how it counteracts against this first title how it goes against objectivism, and it does feel like a natural progression to Bioshock 1, at least. So with that, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for listening in, and we will talk to you all next week. And actually, next week is going to be episode 100 once again. So next week is going to be a little bit of celebration. So part two of our little dive into Bioshock will be out in two weeks. So anyway. Thank you guys for listening. So, and enjoy your week. And until then, uh, bye for now.